Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're in the book of Hebrews, going through the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 7 this evening. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you expressing our need for you tonight. We thank you that you're our high priest, that you intercede for us, that you go before the Father, that you're the final sacrifice for our sins. And We never want to lose sight of you. We never want to diminish your sacrifice or your work or your person. And God, we're broken people tonight. We, we need your touch. We want to grow deeper in our understanding of you. Would you send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? We know that real change only happens as we meet with you and you work in our lives. So we put our attention upon you. We bow down before you. We worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I think a lot of times for us in Christendom, uh, we find great ways to figure out biblical tools on marriage, and we give people those tools, biblical tools on parenting, biblical tools on finance, but not many times do we put a focus on growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, growing in the personal knowledge of Christ. Now, is there anything wrong with marriage tools? No, we, we can take as many of those as we can get. Parenting tools, we, we need them. Budgeting tools, yeah, develop an app for that. We, we need that, right? But more than anything else, we need Christ. Amen? We need him. We need a deeper walk with him, a deeper understanding of him. And there's a tendency to diminish Jesus. To diminish the power of Jesus, the need for him in our lives, the desire to know him in a greater way. What this church, the Hebrew church, a group of Jewish believers, they were making the mistake of diminishing the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's a huge deal, isn't it? That's a huge mistake. And they were falling back into the law and thinking, if I fulfill the law, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, then God is pleased with me to go back to the temple, go back to a sacrificial system. So God sends them this letter. Remember, we don't know the human author ultimately coming from the Holy Spirit and is making much of Jesus through contrast. And tonight we see that Jesus is our ultimate high priest. And as we grow in Christ and we grow in the knowledge of him, then every expression, every form, and every being of our life has much greater value. It's going to overflow into your marriage. It's going to overflow into your relationship with kids. It's going to overflow in your friendships as a person who is, is single. Overflow into to our work life. And so let's focus in tonight on Christ being that high priest for us. And being that ultimate high priest. If you missed chapter 5, you may want to go back and listen to it on the church's website. Because there we had a foundation in Mel. You're like, Mel? Melchizedek the priest from the book of Genesis. And we're going to revisit Melchizedek tonight because it points to Christ. So if you would join me in verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, 
who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Abraham goes to the defense of his nephew Lot. Lot had been taken captive. A great military battle. God allowed him to have a great victory. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of this, here comes Melchizedek, book of Genesis, and he blesses Abraham. And Abraham gives a tithe unto Melchizedek. And Melchizedek points to or foreshadows as a type of of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. And here we see that he's the king of Salem, and also he's the priest of the Most High God. And this expression, this title that's given to God, Most High God. And throughout the Old Testament, this is how God is referred to. Throughout the Psalms, you'll, you'll see the name of God, the Most High God. And he was king, and he was also priest. And that points to Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the King of Kings, but he's also the priest. This is something that Israel, in their history, did not mix. God very clearly set up the kings as one division and the priests as another division. Melchizedek comes on the scene before the nation of Israel even exists. In the time of Abraham, before the children of Israel have the promised land, before they ever have their first king, here is Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. In verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So Melchizedek being translated king of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means. King of Salem means king of peace. Salem is Jerusalem. So we have the king of righteousness and the king of peace. As Abraham meets Melchizedek, he's so moved by him, he decides to give a tenth of the spoil over to Melchizedek, showing the greatness and and the value of Melchizedek. Please notice the order, king of righteousness, then the king of peace. Jesus is the king of righteousness, resulting in peace in our lives. And as we come to know his righteousness and salvation through grace, then we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Things may be going very difficult in your evening, in your life this evening. But if you know salvation through the King of Righteousness, if you know his grace and forgiveness, you have peace with God. And isn't that wonderful to know? I have peace with God. I'm not under his judgment. I'm not under his wrath. I can rest tonight knowing that my sins are forgiven. My circumstances could be difficult, but I know that my sins are forgiven. So continued description of Melchizedek. He's without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So when we think of the Old Testament, it's rich in history. You always have someone's genealogy. You always have their tribe. You always know where they've come from, where their beginning is and from their end. And here Melchizedek is mysterious. He just steps onto the pages of the Old Testament into Abraham's life. We don't know when his beginning is. We don't know when his end is. We don't know where he's from. We don't have any record of his mom. We don't have any record of his dad. 
And all of this points to Jesus Christ. It says, but like the Son of God. So he's foreshadowing or pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus has no beginning of days. He has no end of days. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and he is the end. Also, Melchizedek is the continual priest. He says, remains a priest continually. Jesus is the priest that has no end. And verse 4, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So God is saying, stop and consider Melchizedek. How great Melchizedek was because it points to Jesus Christ. Now what's fascinating about this is God's the author of his word. He knows that it's his plan to send his son to die upon the cross for our sin. The gift of Jesus Christ, Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. So God's setting up this scene all the way back in the book of Genesis with Abraham to bring Melchizedek on the scene that would point to Jesus, Jesus coming from this line of Melchizedek priesthood. Amazing. See, we don't start studying Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. We start studying Jesus from Genesis 1.1. We see Jesus all along. We see God's plan of the gospel and Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ. So this is a, a very pointed description of Christ and pointing and foreshadowing of Christ. Consider him, how great he is that Abraham would give a tenth of all of his spoils. Verse 5, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. So Levites would be the ones who would receive the tithe for God's work. That is from their brethren, that they have come from the loins of Abraham. So the Levites are descendants of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Abraham giving the tithe shows that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and all of his descendants. And Jesus is of the line of Melchizedek. So this is difficult to follow, but it's very clearly showing that Jesus is greater than Abraham and the Levitic priesthood and the priesthood through Aaron. If you're a Jew, this is a really big deal. (laughs) For us, we're kind of like, Eric, are you serious? Are we doing this on a Wednesday night? Do you know the kind of day that I had? And and now we're talking about how Abraham and Melchizedek and all this stuff. And, and But if you're a Jew, and your tendency would be to go back to the law, to con- look at the priest, and specifically the high priest, this is a really strong argument of why Christ is greater than Abraham and the Levitic system. In verse 7, now behold... Now, beyond, excuse me, all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So, if you receive blessing from someone, it means that they're greater. Now, if, if they have wisdom, and they've walked life longer, and they say, you know, let me speak blessing into your life, you're like, oh, this is so good. Thank you so much for speaking blessing into my life. I was thinking about this, you know, when my, when my dad prays for me, it's such a, it's a I value that, you know, and I, and I treasure that, even as a, as a grown man, and, and he says, you know, Eric, let me pray, pray for you. 
There's no doubt in my mind that he's greater and he's, he's blessing me in the name of the Lord. And, and I receive that and I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. You know, he's lived life longer, walked with, with Christ longer. Oh, Lord, thank you so much, you know. And I, when I sit down with someone who's, you know, walked with the Lord, there's a, a dear lady in our fellowship on Sunday. She came in and her husband's recently passed away. And she says, you know, we were married for 64 years. And I was just pondering that for a, a, a few moments. 64 years they were married together. She said, I miss him so much. She said, there's things that I never said to him that I wish I would have said. There's things I would have asked him that I, I never asked him. And she's like, I wish I could tell young people that. And she, she was blessing me. You know, she was, she was sharing with me the value of having your companion and your spouse and taking advantage of that time. And so the fact that Melchizedek blessed Abraham, it shows that Melchizedek is greater. And the scripture says, beyond all contradiction, this is a clear point. In verse 8, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it's witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid these tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Levi gave tithe to Melchizedek through Abraham. So he's saying that Melchizedek is greater than Levi. In verse 11, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, from under it the people received the law. So through the Levites, through Aaron, received the law, received the system of animal sacrifice, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. Let's ponder this for a second. If the Levitical priesthood, the law, the sacrificial system could bring perfection, why would there need to be another priest that would come through this line of Melchizedek? There'd be no need for it. It, it works perfectly. But as we'll see in our text, the law couldn't save. The sacrificial system couldn't save. Couldn't cleanse us from our sins. Couldn't bring us into justification and right standing with God. So this is a very clear, clear statement that Christ is greater. That he is our ultimate high priest. And we don't need to go back under the law. You will meet believers in your lifetime that will tell you it's great that you trust Jesus and focus on Jesus and worship Jesus and have freedom in your relationship with the Lord. But if you really want to follow him, you need to come back under the law. And to me, that makes no sense because of passages like this in Hebrews and Colossians. But also, it's not even possible. Did you know that it's not even possible to fulfill the law? The Levitical system is broken. There is no animal sacrifice that's taking place. So, so if God wants us back underneath the law, there's not even an open door to be able to practice it. Does, does that make sense? And this verse is really clear here in saying the law couldn't bring us to perfection. The Levites couldn't bring us to perfection. And so there did need to be another priest through the order or line of Melchizedek. Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So change of priesthood brings a change in the law. So it's not that God changed his mind or that God's law is wrong or there's anything, any imperfection in the law. 
the problem's in me. The problem is my, my sin. I can never live up to that standard. And God knew that, so he brings a change in priesthood to bring a change in his covenant, which is the new covenant, where he now relates to us through grace. So the change in priesthood results in the change in covenant, the change of the law. Verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. So if you're a Jew, you're crying out, foul. I don't buy this whole Melchizedek thing because he's not of the descendant of Aaron. The high priest had to be a descendant of Aaron. And Jesus, of course, is from what tribe? He's from the tribe of Judah. So he's from a whole other tribe, and that tribe never officiated in the temple. Never did any of those, those sacrifices, and so they were having a difficult time receiving Jesus as the high priest. Receiving Jesus as being from this order of Melchizedek. In verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there rises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. So he's coming in the likeness of Melchizedek, Jesus, another priest, and he's not coming according to fleshly commandments of the law, but according to the power of endless life. And Christ's life has much more effect than laws with no power. Laws in and of themselves don't have power to change or transform the character, do they? Right? In fact, many times the law does the exact opposite. What does the law make you want to do? Break it, right? I mean, if the speed's limit's 65, that's basically saying go 70, right? If it's 75, it's saying go 78. Who wants to go 74? It's just, there's a ment there's something mental here that says, I've got to live out of the box, and, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go... I mean, if we had a, a law for coffee that you could only have two shots of espresso, you'd be like, no, I've got to have four, right? It's just... The law is broken. The law has no power to save or power to be able to change us. But Christ has endless life. Now, if I could speak to your heart for a moment, what I hope that you're getting in this, you might be getting lost in all of the argument, is that there's a huge difference between rules and regulations and laws and a living relationship with Jesus Christ, our high priest, of being in relationship with him, endless power of life. And that relationship with Christ, man, it changes and it transforms us. Don't get me wrong. God's concerned with morality. God's concerned with a holy life. And Jesus can do more in our lives than the law ever could do. And we have a change that happens within us where we say, I want to serve God. God, I want to worship you. You love me and you, you forgive me based out of relationship with him. But this church, this Hebrew church, is gravitating towards rules, gravitating towards regulation, and they're losing out on the relationship. They're losing out on the endless life. Now, this chapter's really warming up. I mean, as we get to the end of chapter 7, we're going to hit some powerful points about Jesus being our high priest. In verse 17, it says, For he testifies, 
You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, quoting Psalms 110. So Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis and also Psalms 110. The father is testifying of the son. He's testifying of Jesus that he's going to be the priest that's forever, that's of the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Annulled is a strong word. It means setting aside or putting away. There's a reason that the law has to be set aside, that we're no longer going through the Levitical sacrificial system because it's weak and it's unprofitable. When something's unprofitable, what do you do? You annul it. You, you set it aside. One of the things that's become a tradition here as a staff at Rocky Mountain Calvary is we have a pitch it day because there's things that no longer get used here at the church and they just tend to build up in the storage and build up in the storage. And so it's, it's very liberating to set some things aside, you know? Just, just get rid of it. Give it away. If there's no use for it, if it's unprofitable, then, then throw it away. And here we see God setting aside the former commandment. Again, not because he doesn't want us to live a holy life, but he wants to relate to us through grace and a living relationship. Verse 19 is worth underlining. It says, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is in the beginning, there is in the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Let me read that one more time. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So is the law perfect? Yes. Is the law needed? Yes. But did the law make anything perfect? No. The law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ, that shows us our need for a Savior, that we can't earn or deserve salvation on our own, and it's brought us into a, a better hope. What's the better hope? It's drawing near to God. Because there's no hope in a rules-based relationship with God, because you will fail. It's just a matter of time. We're going to fall short of the law. And then when we're not failing, we're what? We're prideful. So there's got to be a better, confident expectation for the future. Why can we wake up hopeful tomorrow? Because we know by God's grace, we can draw near to God. Is there any day that we don't have an open invitation to draw near to God? No. Even if we're sinning, even if we're making mistakes, even if we're falling short, does God still welcome us back and open arms into his presence. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So that's our hope. My, my hope is based on the blood of Jesus. That's my cornerstone. It's, it's a better hope. And because of that, there's always an open door to fellowship with God. One of the things that we find in the law is you don't find intimacy with God. You don't find open access to his presence. In fact, you find the veil that's separating God's presence from God's people. When Jesus died, the veil was torn in two, and he, he opened it up through his sacrifice. He says, you're welcomed into fellowship. You're welcomed into drawing near uh, to the Lord. In verse 20, And insomuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by whom, by him who said to him. So, the Levitical priests, they became priests without an oath, but Jesus became 
priest with an oath or a commitment. And here's his oath that he swore in verse 21. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So our high priest, if you're taking notes, is the guarantee of the new covenant. By so much more, Jesus has become surety. That word surety is guarantee, it's security. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant, of a greater promise, the strongest guarantee that can exist. Big picture view. We have the old covenant in the Old Testament. We have the new covenant in the New Testament. The old covenant was based on what? It was based on your performance. If you do this, then you receive this. If you obey, there's blessing. If you disobey, there's cursing. Even to the point where there was two mountains in Israel where God had the blessings read and the cursings read. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And the priest would get up and read God's word and I hope that I would get to read the blessing side. I mean, what priest got to read the the cursing side? I don't know, but he didn't have the so fun job. But if you disobey, here's all the consequences. If you you obey, here's all of the blessing. It was an if-then relationship with God. How did Israel do with that? They failed, didn't they? They failed miserably, so they got the consequences. They, They got the cursing from God in the Old Testament was prophesied of a new covenant where God's law would be written upon our hearts, that it would be relationship-based. Right before Jesus died upon the cross, what did he say? He says, I'm bringing you into a new covenant. A covenant is God's contract with us, God's agreement with us. And this time it wasn't based on if then, it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, where it is finished. He's completed the work. And by faith and trust in Christ, then the blessings flow into our lives. And that's a better covenant, isn't it? It's based on his work instead of based on my work. So why did God take all of the time to go through the old covenant? Because if he hadn't, our tendency would be what? To say, well, we can do this on our own. Why don't you just give us a system of rules and we'll try our best to follow them. You don't have to give us your son to die upon the cross. And so God gave us generation after generation after generation that failed miserably so we would be ready for the better covenant. And then Christ is the guarantee of that. He said, this is my blood that is shed for you. It's his blood that brings us into the new covenant of Jesus Christ, the new contract that God has. Now, if we've got such a great contract with God, why would we then want to come back over here to a rules-based relationship with God? Why would you want to try to make God your debtor? Okay, God, I did my quiet time for five days in a row. Give me my paycheck. God, I'm here on a Wednesday night. There's a lot of Rocky Mountain slouchers that don't come to Wednesday night. They only come Saturday night or Sunday morning. But I'm here Wednesday night. I even save my seat because I love you. Now, now time for you to get out the blessings. I've put in the work, you know. This is all that I've done in my marriage. This is all that I've done in my singleness. And, And, you know, 
that's not the kind of relationship with God we want to have. We want to understand his grace and his forgiveness, that God doesn't give us what we deserve. And we go, you know, Lord, I get to wake up and read my Bible because I want to be in relationship with you. I know it doesn't make you love me more, but I want to be close to you. I want to be at Wednesday night study because I want to spend time with you. I want to enter into communion. You see the difference? Do you ever look at somebody else's Christian life and they seem to not be putting in the effort that you're putting in, but yet they're getting blessed more? And you're like, this is really bothering me. They don't read their Bible as much as I do. They don't memorize the word as much as I do. You know, they, they don't serve like I do. And then every time I turn, they're getting blessed. Well, maybe they understand grace. Maybe they're not trying to make God their debtor. Maybe they're going before the Lord and they're like, Lord, would you just bless me by your grace for your glory? And God's like, I've been waiting for you to say that for 10 years. <laughs> you know, here, here it goes. It's, it's a better covenant. And when we understand that grace, I think it leads to such a greater response, a greater willingness to walk, to walk in humility and holiness with the Lord. In verse 23, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. This is obvious, right? Priests die. So what happens when priests die? You need a new priest. <laughs> so they weren't priests forever. They weren't priests continually. Aaron and Eleazar and Phineas. The Talmud lists 18 priests for the first temple and over 300 for the second temple. They were prevented by death. But verse 24, but he, because he continues forever, has unchangeable priesthood. So point number two, our high priest is continual and eternal. He's continual and eternal because he doesn't die. He's the alpha and he is the omega. People change. Have you ever noticed that? People change. Maybe you've noticed that you've changed. You look at 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and you go, you know, I've changed. And 10 years from now, I'm going to change again. You know, almost sometimes we feel like we've had three or four different lives, right? And we're like, this point in my life, this is what I was like. And now, now I don't like any of those things, right? Now, now this is what I like, or this is how my personality has changed. Some of you used to be extroverts, and now you're introverts. What in the world happened, you know? Well, you change. People change. People come and go. That's one of the difficulties of life, right? People come and go. Relationships come and go. But Jesus is eternal. He's present, and he's unchanging. Leaders come and go, don't they? God may allow a, a specific priest, if you would, in your life for a period of time, a pastor, a leader, or a mentor, but they're only temporary. That's by God's design, because he doesn't want us looking to leaders. He wants us to looking to Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. People, they come and they go, but Jesus is unchangeable. He's non-transferable. He's permanent. You'll never have another high priest. You may have a different pastor, a different mentor, a different leader, but you will never have a different high priest because Jesus is the ultimate high priest, the unchangeable priesthood. Latch on to that. Man, everything's changing in life except for Jesus Christ, the unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, so good. Therefore, he is also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Our high priest, number three, is able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost means fully, wholly, 
completely, absolute, total, eternal salvation. Our high priest is able to save completely to the uttermost. Remember, primary way of learning through the book of Hebrews is contrast. So the law could not make us perfect, could not save us, but Jesus Christ, through his new covenant, saves us completely. <laughs> this, is, this is wonderful. When God saves us, it's not just like a halfway job. Or he's like, well, you know, you're kind of in, but not really. You, you, you keep blowing it, so you're more out than in, but we'll call you in, right? He, he saves you to the uttermost, completely, fully. The Bible says you're glorified past tense. From God's perspective, he sees the finished work. He sees you robed in Christ's righteousness. You're wholly forgiven in him, 100% forgiven in him. Only our high priest can do that. May we never forget that. We don't save ourselves. We don't complete ourselves. We don't change ourselves. It's Christ's work in us for his glory. He saves to the uttermost. It's key to understanding that no one is beyond the saving work of Jesus Christ. If he can save from the uttermost, then there's no person in your life that's beyond his touch. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you're wondering, could God forgive me? Could he save me? Absolutely. Look at what he's done upon the cross. Do you know someone that's turned their heart from God, that's running away from the Lord, that maybe once knew the Lord, or has never had a heart for God? God is able to save to the uttermost. This is what makes the gospel so exciting. This is what makes Christ so real, is his ability to take a life and to turn their life from sin, from darkness, to his love and his light, he saves to the uttermost. So we can shout that from the rooftops. Our high priest is able to save to the uttermost. Continuing, it says, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So our high priest is alive. He's the continual high priest. And point number four, our high priest is interceding for us. Interceding is the act of intervening on behalf of others. Maybe you've had this experience as a parent or as a child where you attempted to take the discipline for one of your siblings. Or you've had one of your kids step up and say, offer to take the discipline for one of their, their siblings. That's intercession, right? That's coming to the aid of, of someone else. And Jesus, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's interceding on our behalf before the Father. This is so encouraging. And this is the role of the high priest, is to bring the need of the people before, before God. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the number of hairs upon your head. He knows exactly where you're going to sit tonight. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows what this evening has in store for us. And he's lifting us up before the Father. He's interceding on our behalf. We also see this in Romans chapter 8. It says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ, Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Another way to put this is Jesus right now tonight is active in your life. He's actively working in your life and interceding for areas of weakness and struggle, bringing it before the Father. We see this in Peter. 
Peter comes before the Lord and says, hey, even if these other guys deny you, I'm, I'm never going to deny you. Peter, no, no, I, I'm not going to deny you. Yet, yet Peter, you are going to deny me. And Jesus then looked at Peter and said this to him. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that incredible? I'm interceding for you, Peter. Satan's asking for you. But I'm praying that your faith will stay strong. And after you're restored to me, he knew that Peter would fail, that Peter would fall. But he also knew that Peter would be restored, that he would go and intercede for his brethren. Sometimes you may not feel very loved. You may not feel very supported. You may feel really isolated. You may feel like there's not any other believers that are there in your camp. Christ is in your camp and he's interceding for you. Sometimes as Christians, we're not the best about praying for one another. And we even say things well, like, I'll be praying for you. But we forget. We don't write it down. We don't make the effort to go ahead and pray. But Christ always prays. He ever lives to make intercession for you. So that should make us feel loved by the Lord and encouraged that he's praying for us just like he prayed for Peter. A few more verses. You guys doing okay? I know this is a lot to take in. Verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Meaning that it's just what we needed. It was fitted for us. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. What an amazing combination of Jesus, that he's holy, powerful, his holiness, we can't even begin to touch or describe, but yet he's harmless. How many people do you know that are holy and harmless, that are holy and approachable? <laughs> A lot of times when we think of people that are holy, they're like, man, I really admire their character, but I could never talk to them, right? I could never approach them with one of my, my own struggles. And here's Jesus, holy, but yet harmless. He's undefiled, and he's separate from sinners, and he's become higher than the heavens. Verse 27, who, doesn't, who does not need daily as those priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The priests had to make sacrifice for their own sin, just like every leader, just like every pastor, every, every person other than Jesus need, needs a savior. But Jesus, he never had to make sacrifice for his sin, and he became the final sin for sacrifice once and for all. Our high priest is the final sacrifice for sin. So he's the priest and he is the sacrifice. So get this. To go back under the law and begin to operate in animal sacrifice is a slap in the face to the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And that goes back into chapter 6 when there was that warning of not departing from Jesus Christ. So to go back to the Levitical system is to say Jesus Christ's sacrifice is not enough. He is this final sacrifice for sin. Do you ever struggle in receiving God's forgiveness, even though it's written in the word? I, I believe it, but yet I still feel so condemned, and I'm having a hard time receiving his sacrifice for my sin. In essence, when I'm not receiving the sacrifice from God, I'm saying that Jesus' work upon the cross is not enough. 
Because the Father's saying it's enough. Jesus is saying it's enough. Jesus is saying, I don't have to go back to the cross again because it was enough. My sacrifice upon the cross was enough for the forgiveness of sin. So if it's enough for the Father and it's enough for Jesus, it needs to be enough for us as well. We say, Lord, I receive it. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. And I'm allowing you to extend your forgiveness to me. In verse 28, for the law appoints a high priest men who have weaknesses. The high priest, they have weaknesses. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Every high priest, every leader has sin, has weaknesses. But Jesus and his oath and his commitment, he's perfect forever. So as we conclude, we've come to the end of of chapter 7. You can say, whew, all right, I got through Melchizedek. Let's make it personal and let's apply it to our hearts and our lives this evening. Is first, he is my guarantee. He's my guarantee of a better and and new covenant. From my understanding, real estate's going crazy in Colorado Springs, right? Buying, selling houses, if people are trying to buy houses right now, there's a supply and demand problem. A lot of uncertainty if you're going to be able to buy a home. So you put down earnest money, right? As some sort of guarantee. We've got a far greater guarantee in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our surety. That's our security. That's what we rest in and put our confidence in. He is continual and eternal. He doesn't change. People change. People come and go. People die. Christ doesn't change. He is continual and he is eternal. He saved me to the uttermost. Salvation in your life isn't halfway. It's to the uttermost. It's completely. It's fully finished. You're glorified in Christ. He's interceding on my behalf. Do you believe that? He's interceding on your behalf. Maybe things are going great in your life, but he sees areas that are going to be future challenges, and he's interceding on your behalf. Maybe it's a very difficult season. Jesus is there. He's interceding on your behalf. He doesn't get tired of it. He ever lives to intercede on your behalf, to bring you before the Father. What love that that he has for us. And then he is the final sacrifice for my sin. He is the final sacrifice for my sin. It's done. It's complete. There doesn't need to be any more sacrifice for sin because he has paid it all upon the cross. Maybe you love Abraham in the Old Testament scriptures. Love Jesus more. (laughs) Abraham gave tithe till Melchizedek. Melchizedek pointed to Jesus. Maybe you love the law. You just love studying it. Love Jesus more because the law points points to Jesus. It's all Christ and who he is. So as we end tonight's service, enter into communion. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into this new covenant that we have with him. Communion is so sacred and special because we do this in remembrance of Christ, of knowing that we're in relationship with him. What's on your heart tonight? What are you going through? What's, what's weighing you down? Enjoy relationship. Do you have a rules-based relationship with God? Is it, okay, I got to go to church. It's Wednesday night. It's what we do. I got to do my devotions. I've got to write my tithe check. 
Or is it relationship-based? It's like, oh, Lord, I want to get in your word. I want to be close to you in relationship. I want to draw near to you. Now, there is a time for rules, and there's a time for discipline. We're not always going to feel like it. But yet, do you think the Lord just wants people to check off boxes? You know, if you're married and your spouse is having conversation with you at the end of the day, do you want it to just be a box that they check? Like, here's my 20 minutes of conversation with my spouse. Okay, you hit 20 minutes. You are done. Time is done. That's all I got. Peace out, right? That's, guys, try that out. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> you want relationship, right? You want to pursue hearts and let me hear about your day and hear about how you're, you're, you're really doing. And God is all about that relationship with us. So let's enjoy and let's enter into relationship with him. Jesus says, much value as there is in marriage tools and techniques and budgeting advice. And Lord, we need all of those things. But Jesus, we need you. And then that can be lived out in every part of our life. And Jesus, we, we welcome you afresh into our hearts. We want to meet with you tonight. Thank you that you care about us and you care about the broken things inside of us, that you're living to intercede for us. We pray you'd forgive us of sin and cleanse us of sin. You're the one who satisfies. We thank you that all the way back here in Genesis with Melchizedek, it was pointing to you, Jesus, your righteousness and your peace, that you are the bread of life. Pray that everyone here tonight would feel your touch. We could draw near to you in a fresh way. We need you.